Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Hassan Thawaini is a pharmacist-turned-medical writer and the co-founder of The Right Clinic. In this episode, we talk about his journey into medical writing, how he found his first client, how he's setting up an environment for others to succeed, and the use of artificial intelligence in medical writing. This is a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. Hey, Hassan, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Zen. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Yeah, you're all the way from Indonesia, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty well dried. Um, the fact that I'm here is still pretty surreal, although I've been here for about nearly three years. But it's an exciting story, which I'm excited to share with everyone. Yeah, no, it's an amazing story, actually. So um, maybe we can kind of jump right into it and give us, why don't you let people know a little background about yourself? Sure. So I'm Hassan. So I'm from, I'm Iraqi, uh, but I grew up in the UK um, and I'm a clinical pharmacist. So I trained in pharmacy, got my M-Pharm degree, and I went down the general route of working in a community pharmacy, uh, figured out that I don't like the community pharmacy aspect of things and wanted to try something new. So I went to hospital. And when I was in hospital, I was doing my rotations and figuring out how things are in the ward. And I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. Um, so I was like, cool, okay, let me specialize. And I started working in surgery and thought that was pretty much my forte. I come from a background, uh, from a family of surgeons, so I think that was sort of inevitable. Um, uh, and it's sort of what I find exciting. And through working, I, I mean, I genuinely enjoyed my job. I never thought of looking about anything outside of pharmacy until the pandemic. Um, and this is the slightly unconventional route into medical writing that I took. So um, I took a four month sabbatical in the end of 2019 to travel half of the world, I guess. So I started off in Japan and worked my way down towards Southeast Asia. And in March when 2020, when the pandemic finally hit, the UK out of all countries decided not to repatriate anybody from the UK, from uh, the UK to, uh, from Indonesia to the UK. Sorry, I couldn't get that out there. Um, and obviously I was stuck and the pharmacy salary and most healthcare salaries in the UK is not great. So I was only able to save just enough to kind of cover my four month trip. And then I was hoping, I was looking forward to getting back and you know, getting back to my new role and specializing and, and so on. However, uh, Universe had other plans for me, so I ended up being stuck in Bali for quite a few months. Um, so my two-day trip ended up being an eight-month trip, which is quite bizarre. Um, and during those eight months, I got to a certain point where my funds could no longer support me. So I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like, I have no idea what to do here. I have, like, no bar experience. I've never worked in a retail shop. Um, it's not like I can go to any shop or restaurant here and ask for work. So I started Googling, like, you know, what kind of pharmacists do abroad? And in Indonesia, the pharmacies here are pretty laxed, um, as they are in many parts of the world. You can kind of go in and buy whatever you need. And I was like, all right, cool. I guess my expertise might be a bit too high here, and there won't really be a job I could do. So I came across an article on um, the BMJ, I think it was at the time, about a pharmacist who works as a medical writer in the Bahamas. And he's a UK qualified pharmacist. And I was like, okay, this sounds dope. This is exactly the kind of thing I want to do. I've always aspired to travel the world. And I was like, if I can travel the world while working and doing things that I care about, I was like, fantastic. So I uh, took a deeper dive into it. I met my partner who's also a writer. She was the one that kind of encouraged me to go down the writing route. 
but it still had no idea how to get started because as a lot of aspiring writers know, getting your first client is probably the hardest thing to do, especially when you have no experience and they're like, well, why would I choose you over like the hundred other applicants that we have who also have experience? So I was like, all right, let me see what I can do here. Um, what start, my friend of mine told me about a platform called Upwork, which I didn't really know anything about. I, the, the, even the word freelance was entirely new to me. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me check out Upwork and see what Upwork is. Um, I flicked through Upwork to, and I typed in like medical writer and different keywords around medical writing to kind of scope in what kind of jobs are available to understand what people need. And I was like, all right, cool. I could see what people are wanting from medical writers. Let me make a profile that kind of tailors to that. But given that I had no experience, it's kind of difficult. So when I was pitching people, they were like, do you have any experience? And I was like, no, but, um, I was able to kind of sell my unique selling point, which is that being of a clinical pharmacist, because I think at the time. Medical writers were people who have come mainly from like journalistic or English backgrounds and have kind of found their way to the medical niche um, and same digital marketing, et cetera. But I think nowadays the pandemic, a lot of healthcare professionals have began to understand the role of the internet and, uh, and their roles within the internet too. Um, so I think I can confidently say I may have been one of the, I'm not the first people in the world, but one of the first people to maybe jump on this such platform and be like, all right, cool. I'm a pharmacist. I want to do this. So when I was trying to approach clients, I remember the first client I ever got uh, through was through Upwork and it was a nutrition based company. I tell a lie. It was actually a finance, uh, a furniture company. So um, these guys were actually advertising for a healthcare role, a uh, writing role. And um, so I sent my pitch out and my pitch at the time was rather generic, but I, I tried to hone in on the experiences as I had as a pharmacist and during academia, because though I haven't had direct medical writing experience per se, during our studies, I think all healthcare professionals can agree, we, we write a lot. We, you know, we do our diplomas, we do our um, literature reviews, our business studies, our case studies. We've done a lot of writing during university that we kind of brushed past us like it was nothing. But when you actually come to think of it, that kind of writing that we do is actually up there with the most intricate. So we already have a fundamental understanding of writing, and that's what I try to hone in on. So with these healthcare roles and I was applying for them, I was... Um, really focus like um, emphasizing all my expertise writing in academia and my studies and my knowledge about medicine in general. Um, I also honed in on the fact that I had direct patient contact. A lot of healthcare writing roles um, are patient facing. So when you type in, why does my back hurt? All those articles are gonna read from WebMD and Healthline, et cetera. They're all gonna be patient facing um, content pieces. And they should be written in, a, written in a way that a clinician would speak to a patient because I mean, ultimately, it is going to be us as patients who are Googling these symptoms to kind of find out more about them. And I was like, well, I, I do this for a living. Um, I do it by speaking. Why don't I try to do it by writing? And eventually, I, you know, I got my chance and this client was like, you know what? Okay, we'll give you a shot. This sounds great. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm really excited. And then they sent me the first brief, which was for a furniture article about Dubai. And I was like, I don't think I got the brief right here. So um, uh, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll do the furniture piece anyway. <laughs> so I did some... Uh, I really didn't know where it was going, but I wrote the piece and they're like, cool, yeah, we love it. I was like, all right, thanks. Not what I want to do whatsoever. But at least that gave me a backing piece. That gave me a portfolio piece. And then I think literally about three hours later, I was still going through Upwork and trying to find a role. Um, and I found a nutrition company looking for a writer. And I was able to use that as my portfolio piece. And because that piece was very SEO heavy, bear in mind at the time, I didn't know what SEO meant, but apparently it was SEO heavy. They were like, okay, cool, we love it. Let's get you started. And the rates were pretty low, but 
given the, the circumstances I was in, and I was in Indonesia during the pandemic, and every, um, everything was pretty um, cheap. It was quite a cheap lifestyle. Um, a lot of people fled. And I think the local people here also struggled to kind of maintain everything because Bali is a very tourism heavy uh, dependent country. So just me being here and being, uh, everything was just cheap. And as long as it's kind of help out where I can. So the little income that I made from Upwork was actually more than enough for me. And that was great at the time. So, you know, I wasn't under too much stress. Um, but this nutrition company, they came to me and showed them the portfolio and they were pretty happy. And they're the ones who introduced me to SEO really. So they were like telling me about keywords and telling me about all these different type of writing I had to try to include in my article. And I was, I was taken aback. I was like, why am I writing it like this? It doesn't make sense. It just sounds very like forced, but then they were like, they actually took the time to speak to me and sort of give me a very brief overview of what SEO is. And that partnership ended up going on for about three months and I earned quite a bit of money from them over time. And um, looking back at it, I was writing like 20,000 words a week uh, for little to no pay. Uh, and yeah, I mean, these days, 20,000 words a week sounds like hell for a lot of people. And it sounds like a lot of money for a lot of people too. Um, but, you know, I was getting started and I didn't really have a leg to stand on. I was like, okay, this is what I needed. And it did me, did me well. Over time, I was still applying for stuff on Upwork until I saw an agency that was looking for a healthcare professional to write some content for a healthcare clinic. And I, I approached them and because I had like 10, 15 articles behind my back then, it was pretty easy. And when I had a chat with this agency, they were like, oh, we market for orthopedic, orthopedic surgeons. And I was like, oh, well, that's great because I'm an orthopedic pharmacist. Um, that's pretty much all I do. And, you know, I, I kind of help patients with aftercare from surgeries. And from then I was taken off Upwork and I was able to have like my first role that was outside of Upwork. And that went on for about nine months. And during then I was sort of working on the side here and there for different clients. But that was my main client um, for a while. And then we come to 2022 and the GPHC, which is the General Pharmaceutical Council, is what we register as as pharmacists. And I was still apprehensive about medical writing because I was like, Although I'm doing okay, I, I don't want to lose out my pharmacy registration. I don't want this to be a thing. I don't want to, God forbid, have like a month or two where it's no work and I don't have, I have nothing to fall back on. So I was like, all right, let me go back uh, to the UK. I contacted the GPHC and I was like, what is the minimum amount of hours I have to do? And they told me the hours. And so I came back to London and I got myself a four-month locum role in the hospital. Realized how much I love my job, but also realized how dire the situation was in healthcare. I was going in as a locum band, set, band six at the time because I was just taking whatever came to me. I went in as a locum band six and my roles were that of a locum band seven manager. So I was managing like three wards at once at certain times. I, one day I had like 59, 60 patients under my belt, which I had to add, add um, uh, administer to the hospital and I had to discharge. And I was like, well, this is way too much. Like I was going home, I wasn't getting a chance to think to myself. And um, I saw the mental toll that I was taking on my colleagues too. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to work hard on my medical writing whilst locuming. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try and reach out and stay outside of these freelance platforms. And started using LinkedIn and marketing myself. And uh, I was actually getting in touch with a lot of agencies that were really interested because my experience was pretty like, um, it's pretty pronounced by then, pretty accentuated. And they were like, okay, the healthcare background is pretty amazing. That's a great USB for us to have too. So I landed, I think, my first like really high paying medical writing role that summer uh, while I was working in hospital. And I think from one article, I earned what I would earn in two weeks in, as a lookup. And I was like, all right, I was, I was like, what am I doing? I was like, this is, this is exactly what I want right now. This sounds fantastic. So I finished my locum shift and, I was, and after that locum shift, I was like, this is when I know I'm probably not going to go back to hospital full time until things get better for the, the staff. Because I was like, there's no way I can let my mental health take, take a blow again because of my work. Um, and as much as I love working in hospitals and being with patients, it's my absolute passion. I just couldn't bring myself to let it, you know, to 
bring me down mentally and for that to affect my home life too. Whereas with writing, I can be creative and it's, it's kind of expanded a whole new part of me, which I didn't know was there. And now I'm you know, pursuing that entirely. So that same summer, I actually contacted Virginia, who's now my business partner at Right Clinic. And I saw, you know, I was like, at the time, LinkedIn was pretty fresh. And I was like, typing in medical writers. I was like, let me connect to some people in the industry. And I saw Virginia was also a pharmacist in the UK and a medical writer. I was like, all right, cool. Let me see what she's doing. So I gave her um, a message. I was like, hey, do you mind if I have a call with you? Like, I just want to talk to somebody else who's literally in my position see what's going on. And we had a call. And what was meant to be a coaching call for me, because I was like, you know, she seems, she, she knows what she's doing. She's doing really well. And in that coaching call, we figured out we're actually pretty much on the same level. And I was like, okay, this is great. So we just stayed in touch. We were just catching up with each other and seeing how we were all doing. And uh, start, uh, um, after my locum shift, we decided to move back to Bali because one of the writing jobs I had over the summer actually came back to me and were like, hey, we'd like to offer your full-time role. And I was like, all right, great. Um, can I work remotely from anywhere? And they're like, yeah, of course you can. And I was like, okay, that's, that's really cool. So as long as I give them the, the right amount of hours and the work we do is amazing, um, I can, you know, live comfortably here. So I'm very happy with that. But also the work we do is pretty incredible too. So where it's nice to see on the back end what's happening. So do you any working in hospital and you get a pharmaceutical rep come to you and they give you a brochure and they're like, hey man, why don't you prescribe this to your patients? And I'm like, who wrote this? Like, what, what's going on here? But now being on the back end of things and knowing all the effort that goes into making that brochure and making sure everything's right and all the clinical trials are there. And it's pretty, it's pretty neat. And I like being on the back end of things. I like being on the... The startup side of things for medicine, so I thought it was pretty cool. So I get to do that now. And then as I went back to Bali, I, I think I got like 45, 50 messages from different people on LinkedIn, because that's when I started posting on LinkedIn. And they're all clinicians or people in the healthcare space that wanted to do what I'm doing. And I find that pretty bizarre. And I was like, why do people keep asking me? And I ended up having all these calls with people. People kept asking me for, for a chat, and I was like taking like three hours out of my day to talk to six different people to kind of tell them what I do and how I did it. So I was like, you know what, well, I'm going to post on LinkedIn and be like, hey, what would people like to learn? Like, I might make a course out of this. As soon as I posted that, Virginia came up to me and was like, hey, I'm actually making courses too. Why don't we kind of combine our you know, knowledge and our, um, our audience and let's do something together? And that's what birthed Right Clinic. So here we are, like eight months later at the Right Clinic, and we've got a whole business there. We've got a whole education platform for healthcare professionals and scientists. And we're basically distilling all that's needed, all the fundamentals that's needed to become a medical writer. And the premise of Right Clinic is to kind of save you that two-year burden that myself and Virginia had working with low-paying clients, to understanding what there is to kind of get right into it. That's amazing. Um, I, I've heard that story before, but even hearing it again, it's uh, pretty, pr pretty awesome, man. Um, I don't even know where to start from there, but I think like maybe we can. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we can start from the beginning, and you know, kind of like you finding your first clients on Upwork, and I think you mentioned something that was really, I think a lot of people need to hear is. When you're when you're starting something new, you're not going to get like the greatest client or the best client. The, the, I shouldn't say the greatest client because that's not on them. The, your perfect client, right? Like the client that you're thinking, like, oh my god, this is the, what I want to do. Like, like in, for you, like your first client was a furniture client that led to all of those things that you wanted to do, right? And I think that's one thing to really that people really need to like hammer in home. Like, you just need some experience of some sort. And now look at you, like you you started with writing 20,000 words. I, I don't think people realize how much that is. 20,000 words a week to now like writing less than that, way less than that, I'm assuming, and making probably quadruple five times as much money within it. And, and this is, this all happened. What within, I mean, I was just writing down the timeline, what looks like less than a year, right? Like you kind of, 
I mean, it took it took a while, but it it was about a year, and then you kind of got up up and running. Yeah, it was about a year and a half of not earning that great, and then all of a sudden the switch hit, and I was able to find the niche, as people call it, and really know where to hold my expertise. And that's when the salary kind of quadrupled as soon as I knew what I was specializing in, um, as you would in any any other role. I think there's a big misconception, or not really misconception, but like on on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is booming right now, and there's a lot of people who are inspiring others and sort of they're being very transparent in what they earn. But I think a lot of people see this and they think, oh my God, I'm earning nothing. Like this guy's earning $10,000 a month just from writing two articles a week. Why am I not earning that? But if you look at it at a different perspective, I think it kind of tones it down a little. It makes it look not as scary. And like, it reminds you that you're doing well. So going back to clinicians. So when you start off as a junior doctor, your salary in the UK, I'm gonna say UK salaries here because I'm not too sure what they are in America. Um, a junior doctor in the UK, the starting salary is about 22, 23,000 pounds a year. Really not much. But when you get to a consultant, you're, you know, you're hitting the six-figure mark. To get to that stage, you have a lot of groundwork, to, uh, but it's also going to be the consultants who are going to be saying about how great the role is. You're never going to speak to a junior doctor that's going to say how wonderful their life is, because residency and junior doctors, their life is hell. Same goes with people who are aspiring writers. When you first start out, not a lot of people are going to be sharing their experiences, because I don't want to sound negative about this, but they probably will be somewhat negative. You're going to be dealing with clients who maybe aren't the best. And when I say that, I mean people who probably don't respect you as a writer or people who expect you to churn out 20,000 words a week and without giving you any praise and anything like that. Whereas people who are going to be, you know, gloating about what they do are the ones who finally found out what they've enjoyed, what they're enjoying. But I think what people forget to realize is that people who are saying this have been in the industry for some time and it took them a while to get to that stage. So I think you need to strip back whatever you're reading online and being like, okay, so they're earning this much for this, but let me look at their profile. They've actually been a writer for seven and a half years. That makes more sense now. And that's what you people shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't take these things at face value. You should just really look into the, the deeper side of things and see where that's come from. Um, and that's the biggest thing for me. So when I first started out and people were telling me, oh, you can earn this much for this. I'm like, wow, that sounds crazy. I would never dream of earning this much, but here I am three years later. And I'm actually comfortably finding these kind of roles coming to me. And now I know that they are definitely there and achievable, but it just meant that I had to put in the groundwork early on and sacrifice it through it for your extra pennies. Um, it's like the same with any role as well, not just healthcare. Like if you're starting with a digital marketing company as an intern, you're not going to be earning the same as somebody who's the business development on the, on the same company. You'll work up to that stage and your salary will increase alongside it. But you got to do the groundwork. You got to learn new things. You got to take your courses. You got to increase your knowledge for that to become apparent. That's the biggest thing I'd say. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, it took me three and a half years to break into tech. And I, I used to look at it as like embarrassing because like you said, like all you see is like people like just jumping in, doing all this stuff. Um, but I shared it with, I, I mean, I shared it because I, for the same reason you said, right? Like I wanted people to know that this just does, it doesn't happen. You have to like, it takes some time to transition careers, whatever. And when I, when I wrote that article, I got so much like people reaching out to me with feedback and saying, thank you. And this and that, not saying that that's why I wrote it. I wrote it because I wanted to share my journey and it was something that I wish other people would share because when you talk to more people, you realize like the struggles they go through. And I think it's important to not share I shouldn't say struggles. It's important to share the journey because I think it really encapsulates what these people went through, like you see just the greatness, but you don't see like the struggle to the greatness. And a lot of these people are brilliant people like yourself. And, you know, like, I don't know if I would have done the same thing that you did. I probably would have been panicking and I don't know what I would have done. Uh, man, you're cut from a different cloth for sure, man. That's amazing though. But, um, 
Like, so let's jump into your course a little bit. So like, what is your course about? Like, what, do you, what are you teaching in your course? So we actually have multiple courses, and all these courses are kind of grouped under the one umbrella, which is the fundamentals of medical writing. I realize, yes, we've been medical writers for three years, but we're probably not in the space to teach everything about medical writing, but we are in the position to help people who were in our position three years ago to get into medical writing. I think that's the biggest struggle that anyone faces is that first hurdle. Because once you get through that first hurdle, once you land that first client, once you get into the mojo of things, it's all up to you, and it's pretty self-explanatory from there, with, with some help here, here and there. So the course essentially um, helps you understand what different types of medical writing are. So, for instance, when I first started out, I didn't even know what copywriting was. I mean, that, I thought copyright was a thing you saw in movies when you were, like, 15. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know it was a, a type of writing. So we kind of go into, like, explaining what medical copywriting is, what, you know, promotional materials are. We go on to talk about what content writing is and thought leadership sort of explaining why those two differ. We briefly go into SEO, although we do have an SEO course coming out hopefully next week. That's going to be aimed at educating people about SEO because I think SEO is one of the biggest things that's really happening in marketing right now and a lot of people want that. Um, we also talk about regulatory writing, so your clinical protocols, your in-house SOPs, and also all the stuff that goes on on the background with pharma companies. So whenever a clinical trial comes out, how are those results then promoted to the doctors? And what are the regulations you have to abide by when you're writing them? Because in the same way as medicine, there are certain rules you have to follow when writing. You can't say certain things. There are certain things that can't be said to certain people. And there, it's a, a whole bunch of fun compliance stuff that you really need to know. So we, we kind of go into that briefly just to kind of give, make people aware. Because a lot of clients may come to you and be like, hey, have you had experience with this? And they'll say yes, but they, they realize what are the writing that can't, that can't be said in that way. And I've had it before, like myself. I remember the first time a agency came to me to write for a CRO, I wrote an article without understanding what the regulations are. And they came back to me like, you can't say this, you can't say this, you can't say this. And I was like, why can't I say that? And then I did some compliance training and I finally understood what it was. And now that's with me forever. And I, it's in everything I write, I'm always, that's always in the back of my mind, being like, oh, can I say it this way? Can I say it that way? So we do that. And once we teach you the basically fundamentals of what medical writing is, we're going to teach about work-life balance. Because I think a lot of people as well there's um, get embodied in this sort of hustle culture. Like as I was saying, when I first started, I was doing 20,000 words a week. That is not healthy. I was only doing that because there was like, <laughs> there was a pandemic. I was stuck. I had nothing to do and I had no money. I was like, this is what I need to do right now. A lot of people starting in medical writing from healthcare professionals. I mean, I, I hope they haven't, but like, they don't quit their jobs. They start medical writing alongside their jobs. They have to sacrifice certain freedom hours to kind of get the skill um, on the go before, you know, leaving their jobs if they want to pursue medical writing full time. So it's the, the section of the course is about um, emphasizing work-life balance and make sure you don't burn yourself out because in reality, your, your actual job is going to be burning you out. So you don't want to be doing something that's going to make you feel even worse. Um, and it's also, um, uh, we kind of talk about how we manage our time. Um, and with medical writing, you work with different clients from around the world and there are different, different time zones you have to abide to and it's, it, it gets rather complex. But there, there are certain things you kind of have to keep stringent. So like, a routine that you set when you work a nine to five, you still have to make yourself own routine when you're working with a medical writer. Otherwise you go insane. So that's one of the elements of it too. We then go into finding clients. So we talk a lot about the freelance platforms I was talking about earlier. And um, like Upwork, we talk about freelancer and Fiverr as well briefly, but not too much because we're not too versed in this. But Upwork, we go into comprehensively. We talk about optimizing your profile and um, finding roles and how to kind of use the platform efficiently. A lot of people slate Upwork um, because it takes a 10% fee. Um, but in, in the, in the grand scheme of things, that 10% fee, they do your taxes for you, essentially. They kind of put every, they group everything together for you. They, they have all the clients in one platform for you. It's, it's pretty, I mean, that 10% is worth it, if you ask me. 
The only thing is you're probably not going to be finding the highest paying clients there. But there are certain copywriters that I've seen on LinkedIn, like a guy called Jasmine Alec, and he's all of his clients are on cop, are, are on Upwork, and he's I think he's the link the number one LinkedIn creator in the UK. Like it's it just goes to show that it can be profitable if you persist with it. Um, because I've been on there for like nearly three years now, I don't really use it anymore. But like I'm like a top rated profile, so I keep getting leads every day. People messaging me being like, "Hey, sorry, profile, can you help out with this?" And a lot of the time they don't pay that well, but sometimes you do get the odd one that will you know want to pay you decent money, and you're like, "Okay, cool, let let's talk." And then we try and get out of Upwork. So that's another thing we talk about. We then talk about pitching um, and how if you want to, you know, get yourself known to a particular agency that wants to hire you or if there's a magazine you really want to write for, we talk about the process of how to go about getting your work published there. Who do you talk to? Who do you message? How do you build those meaningful connections? Um, after that, we talk about um, full-time roles. So medical writing is not just freelance. Writing is not just freelance. There are a lot of freelance writers out there, but you know, there are full-time roles available, which pay pretty um, handsomely when you compare it to clinical roles as well. Um, it's just so it's how you can tailor your CV to match their requirements. We teach you how to understand job descriptions. And, you know, a lot of people get turned off by job descriptions when they, you know, say you have seven out of 10 job requirements. They're like, oh, well, I don't have the other three. I'm not going to apply for this. People don't know how to apply for that. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it means. <laughs> it's desirable, but like, that factors in with, you know, with the finance side of things. So if a job description says 30 to 40K and you only have six out of 10, they might pay you the lower end of 30K and then they'll, you know, they'll compromise the rest with the training they'll provide you for you to earn the, la the last four requirements. And that's how you should look at it. So kind of teach people how to negotiate salaries based on what they have and basically understand what there is. Uh, and we teach them how to find jobs using various job boards and how to actually apply for a job even if there's no job available. If there's a company that you really want to work for, and you've been following them for some time, but there's no role, it doesn't help, it doesn't hurt reaching out. Because sometimes something will come up, and that's what we teach too. Um, afterwards, we go into, I'm trying to remember actually, because this is quite a, it's quite a long course. Um, oh, the medical writing test. So this is going to be quite new for a lot of people. A lot of jobs that you apply for in medical writing may ask you to do a test at the end of it. The test doesn't really, isn't really there to kind of judge your style of writing, but it's to judge your ability to adapt to different styles of writing. So, for example, I remember the first interview I ever had for medical writing. Um, I didn't get the job because this was like three years ago and I had no experience. But I was, I was getting to the interview stage. So I was like, all right, my CV is doing something. Um, I'm saying the right things. I'm just not doing the right things afterwards. <laughs> but the medical writing test came through and it was like to, sim to read a journal and, and write a plain language summary. And that's the first time I've ever had to do that. And I was like, well, what did I do? And they gave you like a one hour time limit. And that was pretty difficult. So we kind of teach about medical writing tests and we teach you how to kind of approach them differently depending on what you get asked to do. And uh, at what point do you say, no, this is not a test. You're just trying to, you know, take me for what I am. Because a lot of people will say, can you do a trial, a trial article for us? And you write a 2000 word article, it's fantastic. And they'll just go on and publish it on their website, not using your name and they won't give you the job. I'm like, well, that's literally intellectual property, intellectual theft. So it's, uh, it's sort of understanding what's good and what's bad and how to tackle those scenarios differently. And lastly, we go into finance. So we go into the realistic expectations for what full-time and freelance salaries can be and how to kind of manage your finances accordingly and how to make sure you don't get stuck in that kind of feast and famine drought where you get through, you know, periods where you have no income, periods where you have a lot of income, too much work, um, and sort of helping you understand how to get around those things. Wow. Like you literally touch on everything. And I was going to ask you uh, if, yeah, I was going to ask you if you guys talk about salary, because I think that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with, especially in the beginning, because they just don't know how much they can charge. They don't know what their worth is. 
Um, so I'm glad you guys like kind of touch on that as well. Um, so w if somebody was starting right now, like if they, if they were just like, yo, Hassan, like I have no idea what the hell I'm doing, obviously, you know, look at your course, but if you told them like right this very moment, like what is the first couple of steps you do? Like, what would you tell them? I'd say write an article. I'd say find the random topic that you like, Google a topic, write, find something that you like and write an article about it and see if you actually enjoyed the work. Cause a lot of, like I know at university, I hated writing. Like when I was doing my literature, literature review, I was like, I don't know why it took me like so long to write 4,000 words. Obviously nowadays it doesn't take me as long because I, I do it for a living, but like it's, I'm like, write an article. Do you actually enjoy it? And if they say, actually, yeah, that was pretty fun. Like I learned a lot. I'm like, okay, cool. So your next step would be to start a blog. And that way, although you're not being published anywhere, you're still on the internet. So if somebody does come up and ask you for examples, you could show them the, your blog. It's on a medium or journal portfolio. And with that being there, you've already got, you've already like beaten the first hurdle I had to struggle with, which having no portfolio. So I wish I even knew about blogging before I even started working. Um, after doing that, I'd look into the different types of medical writing. So we've actually written a very comprehensive article on the right clinic, which I can share with your listeners afterwards, which kind of breaks down what different types, uh, styles of medical writing are. And once you read through them, you can kind of figure out like which one that you want to go into and which one that you like. Um, and then once you decide on that, I'd suggest doing a course. So not that I want to sell my, my, my course right away to everybody, but uh, it's something that I wish I had the opportunity to do when I first started out. Um, and the idea of a course is that it bypasses that like six months to one year hurdle that you're going to start up with, because it gives you the fundamental information you need to make the right decisions going forward. And it makes, it makes you understand like who's not good to work with, who's good to work with and where your career can go going forward. And right. that's my biggest thing. So I think starting a blog, it's, that's probably the main thing, knowing, knowing that you love writing. No, I a hundred percent agree with you there. Um, and that's something that it sounds like, duh, like that's what you should do. But like. I hated writing too. I legitimately hated writing. The only reason I started writing on LinkedIn was because I needed to find a job. I wanted to find a job, not needed. I wanted to find it you know, I was trying to make a transition and I just started loving it. So I went from like short form content to then creating my blog. Um, and I was like newsletter and I just like loved it. So um, I agree with you there. Like you have to, because it's hard work, man. Like thinking, like people think that writing is just like, okay, whatever. Like it's just easy. But I mean, to do it well is hard. I don't even know if I do it well, honestly, but it takes some time, like creating a podcast. And because honestly speaking, like us and you are the content in this one. So like, I'm not like actively thinking about stuff, but like when you're sitting down writing with your own thoughts and it's just you and the computer, the paper or whatever, it's just you. And it's, uh, it can be kind of difficult. So like, you really have to enjoy it to be consistently doing it all the time. And read a lot. Um, I, I used to read when I was a kid and then I started playing video games and then I started watching YouTube videos and then reading sort of, you know, I came out of my lifestyle. Then I started writing and I started reading again and I started finding enjoyment in reading in a different way. Like, yes, my imagination was still doing its wonderful thing, but I was actually like starting to understand sentences, sentence structure. And like, I was actively trying to learn new words. Like beforehand, when you read a book and you don't know a word, some people may look it up, others like me probably didn't unless that word was actually fundamental to that sentence and would have changed the meaning otherwise. Um, when I started like reading and properly reading and understanding different words and different structures, and that's heavily incorporated now into my writing. Like my writing flow and my tone of voice has changed drastically. If you see my first piece three years ago, compared to what I'm writing now, it's a completely different tone and it's more a tone I've always wanted to have. And that's all thanks to reading. So I think, and you don't have to read science stuff. A lot of people read like, I'll recommend science materials and science books if you want to be a medical writer. 
there's no need to. You're already that's already your job. You're already going to be reading a lot of science stuff in your writing. So you know, read whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. And then, but like, really focus on the reading. Um, don't just skim read as well. Like, actually read the book. And over time, you'll you'll realize that you're starting to write new things, new wonderful things, and you'll your creativity will, will also be sparked as well. Because like a lot of medical writing stuff, if you want to, you know, start off with an anecdote or something, like it's you might have read one in a book that you think, okay, that sounds great. What did I <laughs> implement that to my medical writing? So yeah, reading I think is fundamental, really. No, I agree with you. I uh, never used to read as a kid. I still, I try to read more and more. I write, but um, I have noticed that the more I read, especially nonfiction books, because my whole career, I've been reading fiction. I mean, I'm sorry, I've been reading nonfiction and I started reading fiction books. I found that my writing style changed because it's, because it's not like so clinical. It's not like so surgical, right? Like it's not as clean. And that's kind of what I would like to do. Like I like to create stories and emotions and Honestly, it really does help reading. And then there's this other thing. I don't know if you've done it before. I haven't tried it yet, but I want to. I kind of tried it in my mind, but called copy work. Have you heard of that before? No, I haven't actually. So copy work is a technique where you take something like a passage or a part of a book or a script or whatever, any sort of medium out there that you really enjoy. And you literally sit there and copy it like on a piece of paper, pen, pencil, whatever. And you literally write it down exactly the way it is. And then you just do that and then it's supposed to help you because then you're like, you're kind of almost getting into the mind of the author and you're like physically writing, like, like to your point, you're physically seeing the sentence structure. You're physically seeing what words are being written because sometimes when we read and we're like trying to go through it quickly, we'll like skip things and we won't really understand the nuances of things just because we're trying to get through it. This like forces you to stop, write it, read it and like really feel it. I like that. I'll probably start doing that actually, because I, I I just have a Kindle right now and I highlight sentences which I really like, mm-hmm. and then I save them at the end. I can always go back to them. I'm like, oh, well, that sentence really digs deep. Like, I wonder if I can use that somewhere. <laughs> um, so I'll definitely give that a go. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. Um, I've tried a couple of times. It actually works. I just need to do it more often. Um, but yeah, man. So the other thing that we that I wanted to touch on was, you know, AI replacing your job. Is it happening? <laughs> when is it happening? Are we all gonna die? No I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, in other people, I'm not too worried about AI. A lot of people are relying on automation, like ChatGPT and chat prompts, to speed up the work. But that doesn't mean the work's going to be good. Somebody raised a very valid point recently that medical writing is prevalent and it always will be prevalent, as will a lot of writing. But it's the prevalence of stuff that isn't accurate or isn't different or unique that's going to be worrying because a lot of I know a lot of startup marketing agencies, for example, might rely on AI to help their clients out. Unless their client, for some weird reason, does not proofread that work, that work will probably just go straight on the internet for anyone to read. And the scary part is a lot of the stuff may not be factually accurate or it might just be plagiarized entirely. Like I tried, I tried it out earlier. Like I, I used Bing AI just to kind of compare what I wrote compared to what Bing would, wrote, would write. And I give it the exact same title, the exact same keywords. And yes, I added references in, but when I copied and pasted it to a plagiarism checker, it was like 37% plagiarized. And I was like, this is not going to do well for anything. And yes, it sounds good. And that's because the wording is taken word for word from a journal. So I was like, this is why it's different. And medicine is also constantly changing. And it's, medicine doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach. So whenever you're writing something, you need to write it as if you are the physician talking to a patient and, you know, adding the maze and the can. And it, it will be like, you know, it's, 
just because the treatment is out there doesn't mean it is a treatment. It's a treatment for somebody. It's just not a treatment for you. And that's what a lot of writing kind of needs to differentiate from as well, which I find, I mean, we probably will get to that stage given the way AI is progressing now. But I think just having that personality embedded into your writing that showcases that you are talking to a patient and you are showing them that this may or may not work for you. Because, you know, as a physician, like you, when you're, I mean, I can't speak because I'm not a doctor, but like, you know, we're speaking to a patient, you say, okay, let's try this. If that doesn't work, let's try that. Whereas some articles will just say, no, this is what you do. And uh, in, in a lot of instances, that's wrong. Someone might read that and think, this is what I want. And this goes back to like, you know, let's say an elderly person, I, I don't know why elderly, let's say, I'll say elderly person because they probably don't know what they, <laughs> like the, all what's going on right now. They see an advert on TV in the States for like Lipitor. And they're like, then they go to the doctor, like, I want Lipitor. Like it says, it's going to help my cholesterol. I want Lipitor. And the doctor can look at their bloods and go, you don't need Lipitor. Like, you know, like, like no, but I want Lipitor. Like, so I'm worried that AI might start generating content like that, where people are going to read it and think, oh, I want that. And then you need to dig, dig deeper into it and think, but do I need that? And I think as a writer, you kind of need to be able to take away from that and then just help people understand that this is an option, not the choice. You know, it's, it's one of the options that you can have and just sort of educating people about that option instead of trying to sell that option. Um, I haven't experienced, I haven't played around with, with um, ChatGPT and stuff too much on my end. Uh, I've had like, you know, I've tapped in a few things here and there to see what it kind of writes. And it's very like, I guess, basic. Like it's just very like, this is what this is. This is what this is. In conclusion, it is this on this. And I'm like, that's not that fun to read. It's not very engaging. Some people might want, I mean, I can see where it's going to be beneficial in, if a physician wants to summarize uh, a consultation with a patient and send them an email, oh, here's what we talked about. I think that could be great. You know, type in what, what it is you guys talked about and ChatGPT can write something out. And I think that's, that's pretty good. And a lot of clinicians probably are using that now. But I think when it comes to writing patient-facing content that isn't specific, it's, it should still be, you know, down to the actual writing. I love AI in the sense that it kind of helps with writer's block. So sometimes I admit if I'm, if I'm looking at a blank page, I'm like, how the hell do I start this? Like I've got a title, but I don't know how to start it. I might type in a chat GPT, can you write me an article structure? And it'll give me some subheadings and then subheadings, I can just look at them and go, yeah, that makes sense actually. Or I can look at them and go, that's completely off topic. And I'll go back to square one. But you know, it's, it's pretty helpful in that sense. But in terms of me worried about it taking my job, Currently, not really, because I, I like to sell my USB, whereas I'm a clinician, I'm, I'm a pharmacist, and I'm, I've been a patient before, so I kind of know both sides of the spectrum, and I know how different people like to be talked to. And uh, I guess there are, like, you know, prompt experts these days who know how to prompt it perfectly to write the right thing. I don't really know too much about that, because ChatGPT, all it's doing is regurgitating stuff that's read online. Like, that's, that's essentially what it is. It's a model that uses the internet. So it's just not going to be specific to one certain thing. And that's why I like having a bit of creativity behind it. I think creativity is never going to be out of fashion. And a lot of companies who want to stand out are going to need to be creative and hire people who don't use AI because if everyone uses AI, everything's going to sound the exact same because it's just regurgitating stuff that's already written. You want to be different and provide stuff that's not written already. And I think people who do pay a lot of money who appreciate that, they're the ones who are going to do well. And the writers who understand that as well, they're the ones who are going to be able to you know, go into that uh, sort of successful career better. Yeah, no, I literally, there's an article that just got emailed this morning uh, about this exact topic. I looked at four different um, models and I compared, I gave them a very simple prompt and I did that on purpose because we're not prompt experts and that's what normal people are going to put in. And it spit, it spit out the thing. I pasted exactly what it wrote in the article 
and then that was the conclusion I came to. Like, yes, it's impressive in the sense that it's giving you information, but it doesn't have any character. It doesn't have soul. It doesn't have personality. You can't really connect to it. You're like, it's like reading a textbook, right? But even a textbook might be a little bit more, have more pizzazz than what comes out sometimes. And, and I think that people are trying to get rid of jobs. People will try and it'll happen. Um, and the whole misinformation thing, I like look at AI right now, kind of like what social media is like, it sounds really smart. So people believe it and they don't fact check it. Right. And they just like take it for face value. Um, and that person might not know anything, but they're, they're just really confident in what they're putting out there. Right. Um, so that's the other thing with AI that people don't understand is you have to have subject matter expertise to proofread what you, what was spit out. Yes. That, uh, obviously saves you time, right? Because you didn't physically write the term words out and you can just change it around, but you still need somebody who knows what the heck is the heck is going on to kind of figure out like, yeah, this is right. Oh no, this part isn't right. We need to reword this or that. And then also to your point, when you initially mentioned it, there's different rules and regulations out there, right? And it's not going to know it, at least right now, it doesn't know those rules and regulations and all that stuff. And it might get you into really hot water, especially if you're just using that as your output and just throwing it up on the internet. Well, exactly. I mean, like you have to, like in medical writing, you kind of have to substantiate every claim that you make. You can't say Libertor is going to lower your cholesterol. You need to prove, prove. I mean, we know it's a thing, but like you still need to, regardless of where you write that, you still need to have a reference that backs that up. ChatGPT doesn't reference for you. Uh, it might do. I don't know. I, I don't know if it does actually, but. If it, even if it does, it probably won't be that great. Because like when I when I saw it on Bing, I was like, "This is a terrible reference." It doesn't even use like proper peer-reviewed journals. I think that's really credible. So again, even though ChatGPT might write an article for you and you're like you're happy with it, you're still gonna do the groundwork of going in and finding out where it got every single claim from, finding the reference it used, and then adding the reference in. And that's gonna take you a whole lot more time than just rereading the references and writing them yourself. Um, and you can probably do a better job at it. And the saying that I mean, I think. The only bad thing I have against AI is in terms of content creation. I think AI in healthcare, it's, you know, it's being exponential right now. There's a lot of digital health companies coming out which are focused, they're focused on AI and AI is kind of helping streamline the process. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. I think my only like um, apprehension is when it comes to AI and content creation, because I feel like creativity comes from the mind, not from a robot. <laughs> so that's why I'm a big advocate for it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, but I think that it's AI is something that people don't really understand that well. I think they, it's kind of like the flavor of the month right now. I mean, it's, I think it's going to revolutionize. <laughs> it's going to revolutionize the way we work in general. I think for me, I think it's going to be like the next version of the industrial revolution, but not the way that people think it is. But uh, people are trying to use it in a way like force feeding it in areas where it doesn't work well right now. Like you gave an ex a great example where like, hey, you, you physically wrote the note. And AI is just summarizing that note. So you gave it exactly what it needs to use. And then it just synthesizes it down. You know, you can use it to, you know, synthesize notes down. You can use it to maybe translate things or make it in a different reading level, things like that. Right. Like that's, that's stuff where AI is great at, but like creating it. Yes. It can create content. Yes. It can do all these things. It can do all that, but should it be doing it? And is it doing it really well? Those are the questions that. I think are need to be asked, but are not being asked right now. I mean, I actually agree with you. I mean, there's that, who was the guy, I can't remember his name. Like he's the one who resigned recently from Google. Yeah. He was been, been, like, yeah. So I mean, I think with that happening, there's going to be a lot of apprehension behind where AI is going. I think wasn't there talks about 
trying to halt AI progress for like the next six months just so we can actually get up to speed with what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll see what's happening there and, and take it from there. But I think for the time being, we just got to be, we got to do our due diligence when we're using it. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a really fun toy for now, but I think we just need to be really careful of what we're doing and make sure it kind of goes the right way. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I do think that people should be aware of it and use it just because the only way, you know, something's like boundaries is by using it and utilizing and trying it out. Um, and right now it's free for most people, you know, just log in, throw in some stuff. Um, and to see what it does, I think it's interesting. Um, I can definitely see some value in it. Like you, like you mentioned, I think it's great. Like if you're a writer, it's great to kind of maybe give you an outline summary or maybe just give you a starting point to start from, and then you can kind of work off of that. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely use cases for it right now, but it's just a, but it's not like, it's not replacing us. It's not right now, at least, um, people are going to try hundred percent, but you know, I think what's going to end up happening is, you know, and, and you've probably seen this too with like, you know, you're in content writing, whatever. I mean, you're in medical writing, you're not in like real marketing <laughs> and stuff. But, you know, what what I've noticed more and more is companies are leaning more into like personas, like their company personas, like they're becoming more like quirky, funny, whatever. Right. And AI can't do that right now. But like companies are trying to separate themselves from everyone else. And those are kind of rising to the top because people are connecting with them. People are like, oh, yeah, this is this is awesome. Um, and even, so even company, like the bigger companies are starting to realize like, Hey, we can't just be vanilla anymore. Like we have to kind of create a brand, create a persona that people can really latch onto. And right now, AI can't create that brand that people can latch onto. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully never, hopefully never, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think even if it can, people will still find a way to be more creative and, you know, I'll, I'll do it yet again. Cause I think hum, the human brain is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, and I bring up my point, like when you look at Einstein and you know something like that back in the day, like how did they think of <laughs> what we know as space and time right now? You know, that, like one mind thought of that, and uh, you know it's what we can do. There's no capacity to it. Yeah, and I think that's what's scaring people about AI is that it's it's much quicker replacing. I do agree with you, but I think what it's doing right now it's replacing the human mind faster than the human body. And I think people were assuming that AI would replace the human body before the human mind. And I think that's what's scaring people a lot, right? Like you have Dolly, um, Midjourney, like creating art, right? Um, and it's relatively easy. And, you know, you have ChatGPT and whatever, all and all the ones that are out there, that's just the most popular, um, creating writing stuff. Again, it might not be great. It might not be whatever, but it's doing it. And I think that's what's scaring people. And again, people are looking at it and just taking it at face value, not really like looking into it. But I, but I think that's what's scaring most people is like, it's replacing the brain, the creativity faster than it's replacing like, like our, you know, our hands or our feet or whatever. What I'm hoping happens is that we look at it, how we look at the internet. Like when the internet first came out, a lot of people were saying, you know, everything's going to change and it just became a tool that we use. So like if ChatGPT becomes like the new Google, so if you do want to Google like the new and the nearest burger place near me, you can type in that on ChatGPT and maybe it'll use some sort of location thing and it'll give you an accurate list of everything nearby you and what they serve. And they'll be like, oh, cool. Why do we try this? Instead of going through every website individually and be like, all right, let's see what we can pick. I can see it being really great in that kind of retrospect. I don't particularly see it doing much else currently. Maybe this year, maybe next year we'll have something more. Inevitably, I think we'll have something more. But I think for now, I'm I'm not too worried. Yeah. Um, but even then, like I mean, the human element is always going to be needed somewhere. 
because yeah. if everything gets automated and everything's machine run, what, what, what is the point of marketing agencies? What is the point of having an online business? If one machine can do everything for you in a business, what's the point in having anybody working it? Like all you have to do is put a name to a business, press enter a few times. <laughs> like, you know, it's, and it's, I think there'll be so many jobs that go completely out of the window, particularly because a lot of things are online right now. Like even there's, I've seen, I saw like AI bots that will make videos. Like, what would, like, how about agencies that make videos and designs for people? Like, what would they do? And then, you know, so it's, it's going to get rid of the entire creativity career kind of space. And that's terrifying. But if it does that, then what do those other people do? And I think there's going to be a whole, I don't know, something will happen. I'm just going to predict some dystopian future here, but something, something will happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of dropshipping. Remember dropshipping during the pandemic? I don't know if you know or not. Uh, it was hot. Like everyone was doing it. Everyone was like, oh, this is going to replace storefronts. This is going to do this, you know, whatever. And it didn't because, you know, we were in like this weird moment in time where everyone was stuck. And, you know, so it's a trend, but this is a trend that's going to stick around for our lifetime for sure. But it's going to change and mold itself quite a bit. And I think it's just, I mean, these are just conversations. They're not supposed to be like saber rattling, scaring people or whatever, but it's just a conversation. These are just conversations that need to be had. So that people a understand what's going on and b just kind of are okay with not okay with it, but like just be aware of what's happening, right? Um, so it's just it's just an interesting topic for sure. But but yeah, man. Um, so if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what is the best way of doing that? So LinkedIn be the best way. I'm always active on there. So if wants to connect with me, send me a DM. I'll probably reply like an hour or so if I'm if I'm awake. Or else you can you know go on the Right Clinic website and there's a contact form over there. Uh, the right clinic um, Instagram or my personal Instagram if somebody wants to get really friendly uh, just drop me a message on there I'm, I'm happy to answer anything really I'm a pretty open guy um, just drop me a line and I'll, I'll get back to you with anything and I'm more than happy to help out wherever I can I'm not the type of guy that will go into you and sell everything straight ahead I'll, I'll literally provide value to you I'll, I'll talk to you I'll understand what you need help with I'll give you some advice and then if you do want more help that's where I come in yeah I can testify to that good dude definitely reach out to him <laughs> um, what advice would you give yourself um you know you know we're both pharmacists you you got got a pharmacy school like what advice would you give yourself like pharmacy students now like what advice would you give them right now knowing what you know now like you're a medical writer now all these things like you have a very you have a lot of wealth of knowledge now what would you tell them pharmacy school doesn't mean you have to go be a pharmacist pharmacy school just gives you the fundamental information that allows you to go work in a whole broader spectrum of medical careers that no one knew about um so I think a lot of medics, nurses, et cetera, like you go to medical school to do medicine, you go to pharmacy school to do pharmacy. And I think that's changing. I think you go to pharmacy school to understand medicines and how they work in anatomy and physiology. And like, you know, think outside the box, where can that information be used? Who can, who can use that information and where can I come into practice? And I think if I, if I knew there was other roles outside of the three main ones that you got taught at university, which is community, hospital, or industry, I think I would have probably pivoted a lot earlier than I did and intentionally rather than, you know, by, um, by force. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And I think that's one that I wish schools would talk about more and be like, Hey, we're farm, you're, you're being trained for this specific job, but it doesn't have to be this. Like the knowledge that we have can be used in so many different verticals. And I think we do a disservice, um, to our students. And again, I'm coming from like, I've, I mean, I, I come from, I, I can only speak to like your own, you can only speak to your own experiences, right? I mean, I love my school was awesome. But like, you know, if I was told like, hey, you could do tech as a pharmacist, like you go into the tech world, 
I would have 100% thrown all my eggs into that basket, but I just didn't know it until like, you know, six years later, seven years later. Well, nowadays it's become more prevalent. Like the NHS released the NHS Young Clinical Entrepreneurs Program. That's inspired a lot of medical school students and junior doctors to go into like digital health and, you know, health tech kind of side of things. And I think that's great. But the, unfortunately, back when I was studying, that wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know really know about it. But my other piece of advice I'd give, like as a pharmacist, I had 13 jobs in two years. A lot of people look at me and go, like, why are you so bad at your role? Why are people firing you? Nobody fired me. I left every single one of those jobs by choice. And that's because I, from the start, I didn't want to get into a role that I was not happy with. And I understood from a young age, probably because my parents are in the healthcare field and I, I knew the scope of the, you know, the, the economy of medicine, um, I was able to leave a role and find a new role pretty quickly because, you know, pharmacists are in demand everywhere in the UK and I'm assuming all around the world too. So if you go into a role, uh, obviously do your training year, you can't leave that. After your training, real, the training year, if you go into a role, say you, you want to be a retail community manager, uh, say after like one, two months, you hated the role, it's not what you want to do. There's no harm in you having a notice and a leaving and trying something new. Um, and if you want to go out and locum, uh, try something new locum. Like when I first started in hospital, I went straight in as a locum hospital pharmacist with no hospital experience other than my two weeks during placement. And my, the, the recruitment agency they contacted me were like, that's fine. That's all you need. These guys will train you up. They just need somebody in there quick because they're really short-staffed. And from that, it was pretty much a really fast onboarding process. Loved it in like a week. And that's where I stayed with it. But even within that, I left like four different hospitals because I was like, I want to try what these guys do. I mean, these guys specialize in this. I want to work in that specialty. I want to try it out. And like, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be stuck somewhere. And you're, as long as you do a good job everywhere you go, you're always going to be in the good books. Like, I mean, I don't like to gloat, but I like to think to myself as a very good pharmacist. My last locum role last year I was talking about when I came back through my three-month stint, that was in Geisel St. Thomas, which is arguably one of the most prestigious hospitals in the UK. And the lead of surgery messaged me independently a couple of times. It was like, when are you coming? Like, we want you here. There's a job here for you. Like, please come back. And I was like, you know, to have that feedback after just, you know, working as a locum, I was like, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing the job right. And every other hospital I've worked with, I've, I've got great contacts with. And they've always said, like, you know, if you want to come back, there's actually a job here for you. And it's not because I didn't do my work. I, I put in the hard work and I, I love my job. But I still left because I wanted to try something new. And that didn't affect my career whatsoever. So yes, on my resume, it looks like I've worked at 13 different places. And yes, an employer might say, why did you get fired? Why did you leave? I'll just say I left until I was happy. And now, I'm, you know, that's not a bad thing. So if you're scared of leaving a job, don't be. Just just leave. And there's, in pharmacy, there's, there's always going to be a job for you. Yeah, no, and I think that's... Yeah, and I'll end it there. I don't really have much to say on that. I think... Um, I mean, I think you're, I think there's a big distinction between, like you had mentioned it earlier, like hustle culture and hustling, like hustle culture. There's like, like, oh, you got to like work all day, every day. But like hustling is trying to get to where you want to putting in the work to try to get to where you want to versus like trying, doing 800 things just so you can get free. Right. And those are two very different mindsets. And, um, I think you're showing that, Hey, try doing things to get to where you want to is worth it. And then now you're in a good space, you're good mental health, like everything is working out well for you. So man, this was amazing. Uh, I know people listening to this are gonna be very inspired like I am. I mean, like I said, I've heard these stories a couple of times and every time I'm like, damn. Like I, <laughs> so so thank you so much, Hassan. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Zed. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on here.